Hello and welcome to Army of Crime, your favorite movie slash comic book crossover podcast experience. My name is Matt, and I'm here with my co-host, Dustin. Isn't that right? What's up, everybody? Shout out. And today, uh, we are taking a break from our comic book heavy season to talk about a film, a motion picture, if you will, of sorts, and its collected uh, related works. And the reason that I thought we would should do that is because we actually mentioned it last season. I don't know if you remember this. I remember uh, this. You remember this. So I talked in our last season, uh, we talked about, we mentioned what are we looking forward to that's going to come out um, in the, you know, like future, right? Like what's the thing that's going to come out um, in the foreseeable future or or whatever. And... I had said that one of those things was the new Dune movie, right? And then uh, COVID happened and the release date got pushed back because I was going to originally have like seen it by, I think by the time the episode came out. And then of course I did not end up seeing it until we were like, you know, fairly far into, into this season. Uh, I got pushed back a lot, but it did eventually come out. And I thought since I had talked about wanting to see it, at the end of season one, we should probably squeeze it in to season two. And because I think it's an interesting it's an interesting topic. Dune, the movie, is a uh, film um, directed by... He is oh, French-Canadian. It is pronounced Denis Villeneuve. Who also directed um, like Blade Runner 2049. Uh, and like, a, so he's not really... I. He gets kind. Of, he seems to do a lot of science fiction. They seem to keep backing the dump truck full of money up to his house to do science fiction. Well, he started out as a uh, making films in Canada, and he had become kind of a critical darling for several films. And he came to Hollywood, and uh, Arrival was kind of like a big uh, breakthrough, critical and financial success for him. And then since then, he's now gotten uh, on board several or he then got hired to do another big budget science fiction movie blade runner 2049 and then after that he's now done dune so i think because of the success of arrival he's sort of become hollywood's go-to you know like thoughtful artisan science fiction blockbuster guy yeah so it's an extremely specific niche for someone to occupy. Well, he is apparently a huge fan of the book going back many years. So I think this was sort of a dream project for him. Was it a dream project for the audience, Dustin? Well, that's an interesting question because this is, so this is actually the uh, third filmic adaptation of uh, Frank Herbert's novel, Dune. The book Dune, of course, is, I mean, it's hard to give like sort of a one sentence description of what Dune is about, but it's basically like a metaphor using science fiction for sort of like Western imperialism in the Middle East with these different great houses fighting over this uh, desert planet that has a uh, resource that powers global transportation and basically control of this resource, which is spice in the world of Dune, is uh, 
worth like a limitless amount of money. Yeah, and, and it's so, certainly written in 1965. You can see the the bear, the traces of the kind of Cold War idea because you have like the Harkonnen, um, who right. their, their leader is named Vladimir. Yeah, so you have the Harkonnens and the Atreides are sort of like the two Cold War superpowers battling over control of this desert and its like resources. And then, then it kind it, of spins out into a lot of yeah, other things. From there it uh, goes into yeah, all these other different philosophical and religious areas. Um, yeah, and it's interesting that um, I don't know if you know this. There's actually a school of like school of thought of like national security uh, and, and like like uh, well-placed like tech guys who learn like study Dune for like lessons. This is like this is like a real thing. I did not know that. That is yeah. really weird. Yeah, I saw it pop up in the news um, when they were talking about the, you know, some people had a hard time as we sit here in the year of our Lord 2021. And who knows what year you're listening to this, you know, on a radio uh, for entertainment while the cockroach people make you work in the diamond mines or whatever. But as we sit here in 2021, of course, the United States had to flee uh, defeated from Afghanistan after occupying the country for 20 years. And there was some degree of well, we're the United States. Why are we losing uh, a war against, you know, Afghan militants? And it popped up in the news and there was this like all like these national security kind of like wonks or like policy nerds, um, you know, who read Dune or whatever. And they were they took like lessons from it or something and were like, yes, it makes perfect sense, uh, you know, because it's asymmetric warfare and yada, yada. I don't remember all the ins and outs of it, but it's it's to say it has a large it has a large cultural footprint. Um, just not in the way of, I think, like movies and action figures and toys so much, but it certainly left a stamp uh, on the culture and like science fiction as a genre. I feel like to explain the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, you could have just looked at a history of American foreign policy over the last hundred years. Sure. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's an analysis that we should all take up. I'm just it is literally it is a thing that people were people were scratching their heads about. So, uh, yeah, so and so Dune, as you mentioned, was adapted into a film in the 1980s, in the mid 80s, directed by David Lynch. And it, at that time was was sort of meant to cash in on the post Star Wars uh, wave of science fiction epics. And it was a uh, sort of a, a infamous like box office and critical boondoggle. And then in the early 2000s, there was a television miniseries made for the Sci-Fi Channel, which labeled itself Frank Herbert's Dune as, I suppose, a nod to the fact that they were aiming for a more literal adaptation because David Lynch's version was very liberal with the source material. And then, now, so now we have the third adaptation, which is sort of attempting to uh, bridge the gap between those two kind of takes. And, and we I think both... benefits tremendously from the fact that the studios are happy to splice movies into like multiple chunks. So you can just make like part one of a book. Yeah, because David Lynch's version really suffered from the fact that they were forced to condense the very, a very dense novel down into a two hour film. Right, 400 pages novel down into two hours. Uh, 
I mean, is that even possible? Who knows? It was sort of considered an unfilmable book. And I remember there was this people, um, kind of nerds on the internet would chatter that it should really be like a HBO series or something and not a movie because there's too much of it. But, you know, in, in the wake of, uh, you know, they let, they let the Hobbit be three movies. So yeah, sure. Why not? Dune could be two movies. You can break things apart now and not, you don't have to have an ending to the first part or like a definitive ending. And yes. I think it, it benefits from that tremendously. Yeah, so the new Dune movie is, in fact, an adaptation of the first half of the novel Dune. And as I recall, you we're both uh, fans of the new Dune film. Is that correct? Yes, And you absolutely. are a fan of the science fiction, the sci-fi channel version. Yeah, and I mean, I within its a, limitations. And I am a fan of the uh, David Lynch version. As I recall, you are not a fan of the David Lynch I mean, version. I remember it being, you know, sort of interesting. Like, the art style was probably the thing that stuck with me the most. A lot of choices were made. And, you know, it was a difficult, could anyone have done better? I don't know. So, before we get into all of that, I would just be curious to hear your thoughts. Because I know you are a big uh, Dune fan and have read all of the novels. So, I would be curious, was your uh, take on the new uh, Dune film? Well, I mean, I thought it was great. I think it's a tremendous adaptation. Um, just as like an adaptation, yeah, I think they managed to really capture a lot of what makes the book interesting. I remember seeing some of the early images and being a little concerned that it looked sort of generic, right? There's a lot of like gray and black, and it seemed like they were trying to make it, uh, you know, as colorless as possible to maybe separated i don't i don't know i'm not sure it seems it seems like that's kind of the style now right when you adapt like a superhero for example you take away the color uh it's like a thing they do now you know middle movies that take place in the middle ages everyone's always running around in black even though they used to wear bright colors all the time and i was a little concerned that it might end up being generic but i think the visual style of it actually captures some of the weirdness of dune because it's like feudalism in space and, and that is sort of odd uh, and I think they kind of capture that. I I liked, you know, there's a lot of things I liked about it. I thought that like sound design was great, like the sound and the music. Um, there's a lot of very well done sequences. I mean, the actors are all good. Uh, there's a lot to like about it. I, I appreciate it. There's a lot of small things I appreciated, like the fact that their spaceships all look like weird, like tubes that zip around, which is kind of separates it out from like Star Wars or something. And it, it, Dune is meant to be kind of weird. So I think that that, is is a good choice. Um, I thought they did a good job with a lot of it, like the Benny Gesserit. I was a little annoyed, you know, that they kept like the little nose plugs thing from from David Lynch. But the the Fremen do wear like full masks and stuff as they should running around in the desert. So I thought it was good. I really don't have a lot of complaints about the movie. I think it's about as good as anyone could do adapting something like Dune into a movie. Um, if you've never read the book, there are long sequences of like people thinking. And then they're like thinking at each other and like someone will be thinking about trying to figure out what someone else is thinking about. So a literal adaptation is not really possible. So I think this is this is pretty good. This is this is uh, about as good as somebody could do. I'm not sure what what you could do to like lift it up a lot. I mean, there's a couple ideas I could if you if you held a gun to my head, I could think of some stuff from the book that it maybe would have been neat to see. But yeah, I liked the Dune movie a lot as well. And I. I think that you said that it's about as good as uh, as you know Hollywood could probably do for an adaptation of the book Dune, which is probably true. And I think uh, I feel like 
they found maybe the perfect director for a project like this because Denis Villeneuve is uh, sort of an odd duck or maybe even a throwback in the current Hollywood system because he he's kind of like, you know, an old-fashioned Hollywood auteur, of which there used to be a lot of, which were people working inside the studio system who have their own, like, distinct style. And in particular, I think he... I find his work, his films, kind of fascinating uh, with his very, like, deliberate, like, sense of pace and his deliberate, like, focus on visuals of, like, light and texture and his uh, interest in, like, these, like, larger thoughtful questions of humanity. So I think if you look at, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of, like, Hollywood directors. When you look at, like, big-budget science fiction films, I mean, like, a J.J. Abrams or, you know, people like that, who are not, like, terrible in any sense, really. Um, or maybe you would say they're terrible. I don't know. I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. But they don't really, you know, there's, there's no, like, uh, poetry there. There's no you know, like soulfulness or at least a, a discernible point of view, if nothing else. So not to like say that Denis Villeneuve is like, you know, the greatest filmmaker in the world or anything like that, because I, I, you know, wouldn't go that far. But I think his particular sensibility was a great fit for the material. And it's kind of a shame, you know, because Hollywood used to have a lot of guys like that who had their own kind of distinctive style and now they really don't have that many but i think he was a um yeah a great fit for the film and i think he did a uh, fantastic job and you mentioned the uh, actors this film has a pretty like standout cast like even all these like small parts in the film that are only in like one or two scenes will have like really like fantastic uh, like actors in it um which is pretty uh fun to see like you've got Duke Lido Atreides is played by Oscar Isaac. The one person Who I learned I... recently is going to be Moon Knight. Yes, he and Ethan Hawke, I believe, are starring in a Moon Knight television show, which is are having LeBron James be on like a uh, middle school basketball team. But sure, but... why not? If you've got infinite supply of money, yeah, whatever. He's got like boat payments to make, perhaps. But uh, and then. Timothy Chalamet is Paul Atreides, and Rebecca Ferguson is Jessica. And let's see, Stilgar is Javier Bardem. Chani is Zendaya. Jason Momoa is Duncan Idaho, which, so you have like all these uh, really good actors who are on screen, and many of them for just like a couple of scenes. Yeah. And I thought that all, there's no, I don't think that there is really like a, a wrong note in any of the uh, cast. Stellan Skarsgård plays the Baron Harkonnen, and he is not as overtly revolting as the version, as like David Lynch's version, which is probably, David Lynch's version is actually probably closer to the book, is, uh, which is yeah. a weird a weird thing that David Lynch's was more accurate than this version, but... Right, the, the Harkonnen are, even in the novel, just like cartoonishly evil, just cartoonishly evil space nazis with no redeeming qualities whatsoever and and they they actually yeah toned it down a little bit which watching the movie you would never guess that that was that was the, the slightly toned down version they dialed it back a few notches yeah 
Um, and you mentioned the sound design, which I also think is great, which is another, I think, Denis Villeneuve thing is that he's got a great ear for like an all enveloping, you know, sound design, like yeah, very deliberate choices in like what you are hearing at all times, whether it be the score or just like the effects from various, you know, like ships and weapons and such. Um, the weird tubes zipping around. Yeah, like I think that he uh, made some pretty great choices in that regard. Yeah, and um, I think one thing the movie does really, uh, really excellent at is capturing a sense of scale. Yeah, because you really get a sense of like these tiny people dehumanized by this gigantic world, like this gigantic world with these little itty bitty people in it. And I think it's a very intentional choice to show like, you know, how insignificant a single human is against like the, the wheels of civilization or, or whatever. Like you have these these giant systems, giant planets, giant, giant everything. Right. And then like the little people running around. Inevitably getting crushed. Yeah, I I agree. That's uh, it works really well. It makes me think of like, I mean, he had a similar great sense of scale, like in the movie Arrival, when you first see the the alien ships, and like when you see the Atreides first arrive on Dune, like it really emphasizes the sort of alienness of how out of place they are on this like uh, desert planet, if you will. Yeah, do you want to know one thing I actually liked better in the Sci-Fi Channel series? What's that? I kind of have a soft spot for the Baron in the Sci-Fi Channel series. I'm I'm going to be honest, probably. I don't know if anyone else can take that journey with me. Why is that? I just feel like uh, the the Baron in the in the Sci-Fi Channel series is almost like a sort of self-aware, like genre savvy, like he's just as like clever, clever little person. Um, was just sort of like cackling to himself uh and he is not um he's like a normal sized person like in here they have uh um Skarsgård is wearing like a fat suit so he can be enormously obese like 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 uh, i mean there are real i suppose you could find a real human that's that large but like very large like to the point where he, he is not able to move on his own right he has to use the the suspensors um and then you know like you mentioned the david lynch version um is like over the top gross you have like the baron has like all these pustules all over him for whatever reason you would think being super rich he could afford better skincare uh i don't know i kind of like the sci-fi channel baron i felt he, he had like a, a fun little quality as sort of like this self-aware clever little person like mucking about with people like a little puppet master character which i don't think you got as much in this movie in this the kind of vibe i got from the baron in this movie is like a kind of like a mafia boss or something yeah and you don't because this is the first half of the book the characters like the baron i don't think are on screen as much as you might expect yeah the sci-fi channel version is and we can talk about this but it's kind of the thing that if you is is most known for now is that uh it was done on like a shoestring budget so when you compare it to like the Hollywood blockbuster version in in this that you see in the newest version, it's like pretty, it looks like a community theater version of Dune. I mean, it's not like probably fair to hold against it to some degree, but it's, uh, I think it- and It ultimately, I think, does suffer from the limitations 
of of the production. Yeah, and I don't in a wonder way that if, either the Lynch or the new version does not. Yeah, I mean, like in the Lynch version, I think he's able to paper over some of the abridgment issues and practical issues with the the creativity on display, whereas the Sci-Fi Channel version feels kind of like uh, cheap and uninspired just in the sense that like they set out to make an extremely faithful adaptation and because of that there's no like bizarre you know flights of fancy like you know in the david lynch version when you have like the space guild navigators being pushed in inside like a giant tank with like a weird goth uh, attendant speaking through a giant microphone thingy which has no you know analog in the book but it all actually does kind of work in the universe of dune and it looks really cool and is extremely memorable yeah and he decided that all the benny jesuit should be bald yeah but like why not why not sure it works yeah some of the I, uh... designs i think there are a lot of good designs in the new movie though less uh less out there as than the lynch version but like um the sardu car make a make a good impression yeah for example it, you know it's funny because in all in all the versions they abandoned the idea of the sardu car wearing harkonnen uniforms which is kind of like a big plot point in the book because they're attempting to be sneaky about it but instead they all wear these like distinctive like spacesuits kind of yeah with the Mongolian throat singing at yeah. like their induction ceremony. I do like the Lynch Lynch's Sardu car as well, where they're like they also have like spacesuits, but they have like these they're like glowing green kind of. Like I don't know if the idea is that they're you know, on Salusa Secondus, where they're from, if they're used to such like a harsh environment, they have to like be protected from the air of other planets or something like that, but it makes yeah. them look very intimidating. Makes them look like they're radioactive. It kind of does, yeah. Like they were all exposed to radiation or something. You know why I think, uh, and why I wanted to see this new Dune and why I thought it was neat that they were making a movie, because they're kind of making a movie out of everything now. So that in and of itself is not, you know, if you really have a hope for, eventually there'll be like a movie about Manwolf or something. I mean, it's all going to be, everything's going to be a movie now. I think that's, where we're trending, but the reason I think Dune is sort of uh, particular, or I mean, at least in in my in my humble opinion, is thematically I think Dune is a little more interesting, and I think the kind of message of Dune uh, is is something that everyone could use to have planted in their brain to think about, you know, especially compared to other like big blockbuster movies. What, what do you say to that Dune? To that well, distance. What is in, in in that then what is the message of Dune that you're saying needs that you know is worth so, getting out there? Yeah, and they kind of touch on this a little in the movie, but the um Frank Herbert had this big thing. And if you've never read the book, I mean you should certainly read the book. It's almost it's almost sixty years old now. So I mean if you haven't read it yet, that's a, a conscious decision to do. So I'm not gonna like go over all the stuff that happens, but Certainly in the book, Frank Herbert had this big idea that heroes and like hero characters were troublesome and that we should not trust people who are like leading us to victory and that like institutions in and of themselves are the problem. Like failed institutions will produce more failed outcomes. It doesn't matter 
what sort of leaders you swap in and out. And it's sort of the opposite of something like Star Wars or, you know, Marvel or or whatever, like the idea that there's like a hero person who, who we can all look up to and say like, yeah, they did a good job. Uh, and Dune, the idea is that like that's bad. Like we should not trust any one individual to solve our problems. Yeah, Dune sort of very intentionally subverts the idea of the traditional hero. And uh, you don't actually get as much of that in just adapting the first half of the book into a film. But that, I think, is the overall arc of at least the story of Paul is the idea of him being the chosen one hero type who's going to save the world and how that's in fact not is actually way more complicated than that and how right. that we should be uh leery of people who are the chosen one heroes who are going to save the world right because that's not how it works in real life certainly uh supposedly he um frank herbert was thinking of, of jfk at the time i guess paul is sort of jfk the idea like this really charismatic president, uh, which I don't know if that analogy pans out any further, but it's it's applicable to, I mean, it's applicable to just like society at large, to history, really. If you find historical examples of like charismatic leaders who, who take power, I mean, that almost never ends well. The idea of going to war against, you know, going to war against your enemies, like uh, like I think Dune would, would lead us to the inclusion that all wars are in fact bad, even justified wars. You know, all empires are bad. It's not just a matter of, like, smashing up the bad guys. And uh, supposedly they want to adapt Dune Messiah into a book, which would actually, or into a movie, which would actually really help land the plane because that's really some of the stuff he goes into uh, in Messiah and would really make it the ultimate, like, feel-bad blockbuster, like, bummer trilogy of Hollywood. Yeah, which is something that the other, um, like, in the David Lynch version, he... You know, it's been condensed to the degree where Paul actually is like some kind of messiah because he famously like makes it rain on Dune at the end, which in terms of the book and even of that film itself doesn't make any sense. But it sort of like demonstrates him as being like an actual messiah. He's like the hero chosen one who saves the day and then the end. So and I don't know if it's just because that was not that kind of critique was just not something that David Lynch was interested in, or if that was, you know, just through the process of abridging the book into a script that that stuff kind of got left out. I mean, David Lynch's interest in Dune, I think, was much more with the uh, religious angle, which is certainly not discarded in this adaptation either. Right. And they specifically, you know, in Dune, the 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 book and um, the, this new movie adaptation, uh, there was discussion of like religious traditions being created to help like shepherd people along or to help like control societies. Yeah. Uh, which is a thing that has perhaps happened also in real life. One one assumes, I don't know. Right. Uh, I think I think that's a good I think it's a relevant message. Uh, and again, we're if we're comparing it to other blockbusters, I think there's a lot there's a lot more to think about. Um, not to slam blockbusters in general, but it's it's an interesting mixture because you do get the epic battle scenes and the laser beams. You know, there are literal giant laser beams um, and like floating like space samurai dueling each other. But there is something going on under the hood that I that I think makes an interesting contrast to other other similar types of 
epics. Sure. Like big yeah. movies that are coming out. It's kind of like uh, Lawrence of Arabia in space. It is kind of like Lawrence of Arabia in space, uh, which I assume is almost it must be an intentional um, an intentional analogy because it does fit so well in some ways. But also you have to it, it fits even better than like because if you track the whole like historical arc, right. we see that Lawrence, even as a well-intentioned person, uh, you know, like where are the where are the Arabs now? Where's the British Empire now? Like the arc of history has a way of of like mutating that into something else over time. I know there is some continuing controversy about Dune and the way uh, it appropriates like uh, Arab culture, and they pointedly do not use the word jihad in this movie, which is frequently used in the uh, novel. And their um, solution to that seems to be to sort of use the or cast the uh, Fremen as sort of like a multi-ethnic group of people, which is the the end result being that I don't think there are any like Arab actors cast in this movie, which... Yeah, they, they I mean, seem it would like, certainly make sense to cast yeah. Arab or North African people as the Fremen. It seems, I, kind of makes you wonder if they were nervous about, you know, being that explicit with like the parallels the cultural parallels so instead they tried to just like sidestep it entirely which i don't know if that's you know the, the right solution or not um yeah but... it's a difficult uh it's a, a gordian knot of the adaptation i don't think as far as i'm aware frank herbert in the book does not explicitly try and just like ascribe um like what we would recognize as like racial categories to any of the people really um I mean, one of them is named Vladimir. I mean, you can kind of guess based on their names, but it's supposed to be 20,000 years in the future where all those sorts of categories have been, like, scrambled to some degree. Um, like, the Fremen are, I believe, descended from the Zen Sunni wanderers who travel to Dune uh, after, like, migrating, and they practice, like, some form of Islam. But it's never, like, abundantly clear if they're meant to be, um, you know, certainly there are non-Arab uh, Muslims or, or whatever, and it's not abundantly clear if they're all meant to be era but of course if you're adapting into a movie you do have to make choices regarding like actual existing actors to be standing there and yeah they sort of split the difference i think because they they did um they, they scrubbed some of the some of the that language as you mentioned from the movie um i suppose just to make it a little more generic because it is a on some level a story about colonialism and empires uh, that sort of writ large can apply to a lot of historical situations. Obviously, there's like a re resource war in the desert, which is pretty specific. But, you know, similar conflicts can be found throughout history. I don't know what what I don't know what the right choice would be in that regard. Yeah, I'm not sure if there is like a perfect way, you know, to thread that. And it's tricky, too, because this you know, on the surface, it appears to be sort of like a white savior narrative. But as with Lawrence of Arabia, the full scope of the story kind of like undercuts that idea. But I think it's harder to get that across when you're only adapting what's, uh, I think, ideally, they talked about doing the second half of the book as part two and then Dune Messiah as part three. So if that ends up being true, we're seeing like the first, basically the first act of the story 
Right. And so, yeah, based solely on looking at this, if you didn't know anything about it, you might assume that it was like a white savior narrative. Like it was literally the thing that it was and, and that it is, in fact, critiquing once the full scope of the story is. Yeah. You know, and I think well, there's still a criticism there, certainly. You know, this it almost makes me think of like Sam Peckinpah would make movies about how like awful war and violence are and how much of it's like uh you know a thing that like plagues human society but it also had lots of war and violence in them so it's kind of like having your cake and eating it too and and you could um i suppose make that argument about dune that in some way he is intentionally sort of having having fun with with this convention uh before blowing it up later and he does blow it up pretty thoroughly but on a basic level yes the the first stretch of dune is about a an outsider coming to you know an alien culture and like learning their ways and then teaching them things and then becoming their leader and leading them against enemies uh which is like the plot of all kinds of like movies made uh about you know like white people taking up right. some other culture yeah yeah so he he's doing it to blow it up later uh but you know i think i think you could make a fair critique that the the better answer would be to stage it from some entirely other perspective, but it it right. is what it is. He does follow through all the way through, I think, on on that. Here's a question: What things from the other Dune adaptations uh, did you like as well, in addition to you know this movie? But were there other things from the other adaptations that were better, or do you think those other versions of dune are worth watching or is this like they got it right now so one does not need to bother with like the sci-fi channel version it's an interesting question i i do like some of the visual designs from the lynch movie um i i think that like that like you mentioned the guild navigators i think the guild navigators are cool uh, i'm not sure why they're bald but like bald benny Gesserit have kind of a charm to them also it's worth and noting I, that the coward denis villeneuve does not actually show the bending of space by the, the guild navigators, unlike David Lynch, who yeah. shows the guild navigator like floating through some kind of like sparkly lightning area and then like vomiting out something or another that and then like warping. Like he actually shows the entirety of like the bizarre creatures like warping time. Anyway. Yeah. Although I, w I would point out, I would point out, uh, Dustin that it is not the navigators that warp time but the engines of their ship they're only able uh the navigators are able to successfully travel through space without the use of navigation computers but sure right i mean i don't know that that nuance is technically found in the way that david lynch presents it but yeah. yes you are correct the navigators are able to see the future and thus navigate a faster than light ship through the stars is I also I, I always have a soft spot. Again, I, I have no idea why they look the way they look, but like the Mentats in the David Lynch version. Yes, they have the uh, the red lip stain, which is from the books. Yeah. But he also gives them all of these distinctive giant eyebrows, which are kind of fun. Yeah, I like the idea that the Mentats stand out as like these oddities. Right. That you can like pick them out, out at a distance uh, because the Mentat are, of course, trained um, in Dune. They have no... Uh, computers or thinking computers and so the mentats are like human computers people who've trained their minds to do calculations so if you're like an important or wealthy person you would keep a mentat around 
to like keep track of all your, you know, instead of having Excel spreadsheets or whatever, you have a Mentat. So they are sort of like human human appliances or something. So I think it makes sense to have them kind of stand out visually. I didn't mind the Mentats in the new movie. Um, I know some of the nerds were upset that the word Mentat is never said, nor are they explained. But I feel like you kind of get the idea. I feel like the idea comes across. Yeah, because you see uh, Super Howitt doing like a calculation kind of. Um, where like his eyes roll back into his head and he's like doing the human computer thing. Yeah. Um, I liked the the Sardu car are good. I like the Sardu car in both versions. Um, one thing I was disappointed is we did not get Gurney playing a song. I guess if I had to come up with some quibbles of stuff that the other adaptations. Um... Yeah. Apparently they did record Gurney playing a song and it was cut. Yeah. I would like to see that. I'd be curious to see that Gurney playing a song. I, apparently, they also rec- uh, filmed the dinner banquet scene from the beginning of the book, but it was got cut as well. Yeah, is that now? Is that confirmed or is that a, a hot rumor? I believe that's for reals. That yeah, one of the. I think that somebody said that one of the yeah. characters. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a fan favorite scene. Uh, but of course, as a lot much of Dune does, it takes place largely with people saying things and then thinking about them and then like looking around and thinking at what everyone else might be thinking. So perhaps tricky to adapt, I suppose. I mean, maybe uh, they'll do the extended mega cut at some point. Who knows? He claims he doesn't want to do one, but the studio could always just come up with one if they wanted to. That's what they did to David Lynch. Yeah. If, if, to, if if the, if they thought somebody would pay cash out dollars for it. Uh, I guess my only other quibble would maybe be it would uh, Dr. Yui. I could there, there's apparently um footage that was cut of Dr. Yui talking to Paul. Um like a little more of Dr. Yui might have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that in this film they actually do a great job establishing why he betrays them as much. It kind of seems to come out of nowhere. It does, and it's a hard thing to set up at the beginning of a story because he is ultimately sort of a minor character. Yeah, and as soon as you mention that, I mean, the book gives you the knowledge that Dr. Yui is a traitor before anything happens, whereas the movie, they want to serve, they save it to be like an actual twist. But as soon as you give the backstory of that his wife was kidnapped by the Harkonnens who are torturing her, it kind of like makes it obvious in, you know, that he's going to betray them. But then to like go against that, you'd have to explain the, what the Imperial conditioning is, which is like another setup that you would have to do, which they, so I think a lot of that just got, seems to have been sliced out, which is not horrendous. I mean, it still works, but it is one of those things where if you haven't read the book, you might be a little like, wait, what? Right, like in Dune, there's these great schools of conditioning, like the Imperial doctor conditioning, the Sook doctors, uh, the swordsmen. So like um, Duncan Idaho is literally, a, I think they're called the swordsmen of Ganaz, and they're like specially trained super space warriors or whatever. I mean, he is, that comes across in the movie, but we don't know that he went to some special like academy that the house gets to send certain numbers of their guys to. Um, and then the Benny Gesserit and the Mentats are all in there. I mean, I think that all comes across without having to be, having to be laid out. One of the things that I appreciated that the movie does well, since we're talking about those little quibbles is they really did not load it down with exposition. And I think when you have a movie like a sci-fi fantasy, whatever, there's this danger of trying to like explain a bunch of stuff. 
I, I, I would shudder to think of like, you know, they, they do this thing in uh, and there are Marvel movies that I like, but I, I always think of like Marvel movies or even like I think of in like Rogue One where we spend where they spend like the first 20 minutes doing like a backstory of somebody and then yeah. being like 10 years later. Now the real movie starts like that kind of thing. And they don't attempt to do any of that. And that's very much appreciated from me. Yeah, I think uh, Denis Villeneuve is, is committed as like a visual storyteller to some degree, because if you look in like Arrival and Blade Runner 2049, which are his previous films, but also compared in terms of genre and budget, he, uh, you know, uses visuals to sort of advance the mood and advance the story and seems to be less enamored with you know, page after page of exposition. Because both of those films, I mean, even like Blade Runner intentionally sidesteps like solving the most overwhelming mystery that people had from the original film. Which is Having about... read... Oh, sorry. No, please go ahead. Having read, you've not read all of them. Uh, what extremely wacky thing from the rest of the series are you looking forward to them making the actors do assuming well, that it actually happens i recently did read the book uh god emperor of dune which is the fourth dune novel and is set i think five thousand years or three thousand years after the events of dune and the main character is paul's son who has transformed into a sandworm with a human face and as i was reading it i was wondering like how would you possibly turn this into a film and I'm not sure what the answer to that would be. Like, as Any soon as you would be create involved. like a digital worm with a human face that people have to talk to, like, how would you do that without it looking ridiculous? So, if this Dune movies are like wildly successful, we'll see who has the unlucky job of trying to uh, crack that walnut. So, Matt, uh, any uh, closing thoughts on Dune the novel or Dune the motion picture? 8085 2021 or doing the television miniseries well um the best thing about the david lynch movie is definitely the fact that patrick stewart carries a small pug dog around yes patrick stewart plays gurney halleck and he has a pug that he carries into battle with him right uh we lose that in the new adaptation which is a bummer yes uh, you know, I, I think I do think Dune is one of my favorite books. Um, I think it's I mean, there's plenty of science fiction books out there and I wouldn't have read them all enough to give you uh, a definitive statement on it. But I think it, I think it is a, a worthy book for people to read, even with trying to dissect some of those issues. Um, I think this movie does a, a pretty good job of balancing all of those different elements. You know, the Sci Fi Channel miniseries has kind of a, a soft spot in my heart because I remember when it came out and I remember watching and actually they made a sequel, um, Children of Dune. Which I remember being, um, and I did rewatch it some years later. Uh, and you know, it, it is a TV miniseries. There are, you know, there are some moments where you're like, eh, it's kind of cheesy. But like overall, it was like a, I think um, the Children of Dune series is, is like fairly well done. And um, it has it has Susan Sarandon and um, James McAvoy in it. So that's our episode on Dune. Come find us on social media. My 
handle on Twitter is at Army of Crime. Um, Dustin's is at Dustin4444. Uh, we are on the web, armyofcrime.com. We are on your favorite podcatcher of choice, which you know because you're listening to it right now. Feel free to throw some stars on there, five stars. Why not? If you want to come find us and tell us we did a good job, sure. Uh, if you have constructive feedback, you know what? Let's. Life's too short to not hear constructive feedback. Everybody wants to get better, right, Dustin? No, some people just want to get worse. That's true. That's true. As always, uh, stay alive out there, everyone. Is that a cat? That was a cat.